Today we go back to school. Do you remember reading The Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller? It's considered one of the best American plays ever produced. It's been adapted to film a couple of times. The play occurs during the last 24 hours of Willie Loman's life. Willie's an old, failing salesman living in New York City in the late 1940s. And during the play, he's eventually fired from his sales job because of his underperformance. During the last 24 hours of his life, Willie recounted several memories about his family. He remembered the times when his sales job was lucrative. He was making a lot of money. And he recounted the memory when his son Biff discovered the love affair he was having while Willie was working in Boston. When Biff found out, Willie lied, told him the woman in his hotel room was a client. Bill kept his father's secret, but their relationship was strained from that day forward. Willie spent his days remembering his usefulness. He remembered being loved, helped, respected by so many people as a traveling salesman. He remembered being the one who could close that one important sale and seal the deal. He remembered his goal of being like his older brother who became a diamond tycoon after a discovery in Africa. Willie believed just one more sale, that could be my big break, but that big break never came. Willie wanted money to affirm his worth because he couldn't see any real value, any intrinsic worth in himself. So in an act of desperation, he remembered having a life insurance policy for $20,000. And since his value was only in what money he could make, he decided to take his own life through an intentional car wreck. His life insurance payout would be his last commission. At the final scene of Death of a Salesman, the Loman family gathered around their father's casket, and Biff made two iconic statements. The first was, he had the wrong dreams, all, all wrong. And the second, Willie didn't know who he was. Since Willie felt he had no real internal intrinsic value, he looked for external things to give him value. Some of those were money, respect, admiration, but when he lost those things, he lost himself. His identity was crushed when the system he used to find meaning in the world ultimately broke down. Willie internalized the wrong things which brought about his demise, his death. We look back, we know better. We know money doesn't buy happiness. It might buy things, but it can't buy happiness. And yet somehow we, who are followers of Jesus, we can internalize things that we think will bring about our physical, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual well-being and health and growth. But for us, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, the only way we can do this is by hiding God's Word in our hearts. And I want to share much more about that with you right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion podcast. Today's episode comes from a lesson dated March 6th, 2022, and it is entitled Living Out God's Word. It's a brand new series. It's a brand new season. Happy spring. may not feel like spring where you are, but according to our companion guide, it's spring. We're in a brand new series called Our Hiding Place, and today's episode is all about the Word of God. So if you have the Word of God, would you please turn there? We're going to take a look at Psalm 119, verse 111. 
Psalm 119, verse 111, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. The word of God. We live at our faith. God has called us to a living, a working faith, functional, purposeful. Not just theoretical, not just theological, but real, practical. Our faith is meaningful. It makes a difference in our lives and the lives of people around us. Some people know a lot about the Bible, but they're faithless. However, there are not people of great faith who know very little about the Bible. In this way, our faith is governed by our knowledge and our commitment to God's Word. As we increase in knowledge of the Word of God, so does our faith. Let me ask you this question. Do you think biblical literacy is increasing or decreasing among our generations? Just think about baby boomers, Generation X, Millennials, Gen Z. Do you think we're getting more literate? knowledgeable about the Word of God, or less? And if less, what can we do about it? The Bible was produced by numerous writers over many years, over 1,500 years. However, Scripture affirms it was not just written by men, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The inspiration of the Bible is not something the Bible seeks to debate or prove. It is something presented based on faith. Biblical archaeology is proven the Bible, particularly the New Testament, to be the most historically verifiable document from the ancient world. Over 6,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. The Bible may be historically verifiable. However, that doesn't necessitate inspiration. So therefore, to read the divinely inspired words of Scripture, we must have faith. In fact, this element of faith seems to awaken Scripture's vivaciousness, its liveliness. In short, without faith, inspiration is impossible. Yet with faith, inspiration just comes natural. Paul advised Timothy that Scripture is useful for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible does contain scientific and historical facts and assertions, but the usefulness of Scripture is directed at instructing and guiding us to live our lives righteously before God. When we have departed from using the Scriptures in this way, we're no longer using them as God intended them. What are some ways the Bible can be used inappropriately? And think about your own life. Have you ever done that? Ever used Scripture incorrectly? Maybe to prove a point, you pull out one verse out of over 30,000 and say, See, I told you so. The Bible comes to readers in two testaments, two covenants. One of these testaments we call the Old Testament. The other testament, fittingly, we call the New Testament. But it does not mean the New Testament replaced the Old. In fact, the New Testament heavily leans on and relies on the Old Testament as a source of revelation inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter wrote to believers regarding the inspiration, the significance of the Old Testament. He instructed believers that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, verses 20-21. Scripture was not just the private thinking of wise or educated men in Israel. It wasn't just the musing of men's minds. It was a public revelation declared to all people through the moving of the Holy Spirit. The phrase, they were moved, literally means to bear, to carry, to bring forth. It's used to describe sailing, not selling, but sailing, as in a boat, which is literally being carried by the wind. Sailing's helpful depiction to Understand this divine, this human element within Scripture. 
Now think back to your favorite part of the Old Testament. What is your favorite part of the Old Testament to read? I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess and say it's probably another begats. Probably not somewhere in Chronicles, but maybe one of those heroic stories about David and Goliath or Daniel and the den of lions or the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Maybe Moses, maybe Joshua. The majority of the New Testament is written in the practical context of spiritual growth. Building up churches. The Gospels were produced to provide believers who did not personally know Jesus with a representation of him in story. Up to this point, most believers had only encountered Jesus through preaching, through personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. But the Gospels are these key works that seek to bond Christianity to this ancestral faith of Israel while connecting a growing majority of Gentile Christians to the people of Israel they joined through their faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is theological history. It's narrative theology that provides Christians with a narrative that shows how the church was born And it gives us the standard practices and doctrines and processes. It describes them as normative and indicative. This is what an apostolic church is and does and preaches. By normalizing every Christian history and acts, Luke provided a template to help churches and believers grow spiritually. Finally, the rest of the New Testament, excluding Revelation, contains some amazingly practical letters written by Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude, and who knows who wrote Hebrews. These letters were substitutes for visits from an apostle, and they helped to form the theology of early churches while addressing key issues that were happening right there in those churches at that time. Ultimately, the goal of those letters was to ensure churches facilitate the practices that were necessary to facilitate spiritual growth. When we understand the New Testament this way, it's easy to understand and see how it is so practical, so relevant. Such a collection of documents that are so practical for them and for us, relevant for them and for us, that are aimed toward us growing individually and together as a church. There are so many reasons to study God's Word. We've already discussed the inspiration of God's Word, the relevancy of the Old Testament, the practical efficacy of the New Testament for church growth and spiritual growth and Christian growth. But the psalmist understood for the word of God to have real benefit in our lives, we must hide it in our hearts. It's not enough to know God's word. We must apply that knowledge to allow God's word to change our hearts, change our minds, change our spirits, change our lives. We can never apply what we don't know. So the first step in the process is to be sure we're learning God's word and being exposed to scripture daily. Primary focus of the Bible is twofold. First, it's a revelation of a relational covenant God through the story of Scripture. Second, it reveals the life of faith to those following Jesus and helps them practice their faith through daily life. It's God's Word for Life, aptly named. The Bible does include some occasional scientific observations, which are great to read, such as the truth that the earth is round, according to Isaiah chapter 40. Or that describes historical events in the ancient Near East, but that's not its chief purpose. It's not a scientific textbook, it's not a historical textbook, but there are those facts. However, the focus of Scripture is to reveal God and guide believers to represent the interests of His kingdom. Everything written in the Bible follows this subtext. Therefore, using the Bible for any other purpose quickly can prove erroneous and not so helpful. So let's use the Scriptures appropriately by As Paul said to Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth, sharing the gospel, and building up believers in the faith. How can we know 
we're interpreting scriptures proficiently, applying them appropriately. One of the keystone scriptures is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Deuteronomy declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Jeremiah 6, verses 4 through 6. That short yet powerful passage is known as the Shema. In other words, hear. That's what Shema means, hear. The heart, that's the seat of our emotions. All our feelings flow from our heart. All our emotions should reflect a love for God when the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, when that is central to our lives. We love God with our minds, which gives us the ability to contemplate, to make choices, the ability to think and feel. That's unique to humanity. Human beings made in God's image, that is unique to us. We're called by the Shema to love God in our thoughts and our feelings. This is not a half-hearted effort. We are to pursue this with all our might, all our strength. The Word of God gives us greater insight into who we are and the world around us. Provides not only knowledge, but also wisdom, which is knowledge applied appropriately. The lesson text we read shows following God's Word makes our lifestyles pure and clean, according to Psalm 119. This benefits us in the present and also benefits us in the future. Through a lifestyle that's pure and healthy, we can avoid troubles that afflict those who choose a sinful or unhealthy lifestyle. We learn more about ourselves and more about others through this inherent knowledge and wisdom within the Bible, and we're better prepared to engage whenever we're facing challenging situations. Psalm 119 offers some helpful guidance to avoid sin. By storing God's Word in our hearts, we have protection against sinning. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word also protects us from traveling down an evil path. When we set our feet toward an evil path, sometimes it's too late to stop. Sometimes we've gone too far before we realize just how far we have gone. So the best way to prevent sin is to proactively avoid it. We can't just hope to make better decisions and reactively avoid temptation. It's better to proactively avoid tempting situations, if at all possible. Many people who've lived in urban areas all their lives, they've really never experienced true darkness. They might say it's dark outside, but nights are still dominated by headlights, streetlights, billboard advertisements, exterior lights from homes, from businesses. Even if we can escape the lights of the city, God provides the moon, the stars overhead as sources of light. So it can be hard for us to experience true darkness. But Ryan did. One memorable moment in his life, Ryan was touring a southern Illinois coal mine with his grandpa, who was a retired coal miner. And at one point during the tour, the guide asked them to turn off the lights on their hard hats. And at that moment, roughly 1,000 feet below the surface, he experienced true darkness for the first time in his life. In our world, we may take light for granted, but without light, we can do nothing. We go through dark places filled with uncertainty and doubt, but thank God for the light of his word. If we will heed God's word, it can keep us from stumbling, from falling, from being laid astray down the wrong path. And thankfully, they turn the lights back on. All right, let's wrap this up. God's word is not an ancient relic of time long past. Theology is not an ivy tower discipline. Those are caricatures people give us of, ah, well, your Bible, ah, it was written by a bunch of guys a long time ago, ah, that's just for the religious. No, it's for everybody. And yes, it was written by men, but it was authored by God. 
The purpose of God's word and theology, they're to help us discover who God is. And by knowing who God is, we better understand who we are and our place in the world. A.W. Tozer, who was a classic evangelical author, he wrote it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. That was a quote from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. All of us have a mental image of God, but that's not always based on who God really is. A lot of us think of just some older, wiser man with a big, long, white beard sitting on a throne. Or some of us think of a a young man in his 30s with a blue sash over a white robe and a halo on top of his head. We, We have all these mental images of God. Researchers have discovered that children will often develop their image of God based on their relationship with their parents. And the attachment relationship between parents and their children, it informs what they believe about God. In other words, parents are models through which children will conceptualize their view of God. And for some children, that's comforting. And for some, that's frightening. Children of parents who are nurturing, they're likely to view God as nurturing. But if parents are harsh and critical or negligent and undependable, well, that's how children may view God. So Christian parents can best prepare their children for a life of faith by modeling a parental relationship. Sweetheart, this is what God is like. We have God's word, God's theology to help us have the right image of God. No matter what we think, we can read the word of God to see who he is and what he is like and how we can live a life for his glory. And when we move toward God, we're moving toward the God who is rather than the one we have imagined. And once we know the God who is, we can live meaningful. We can live intentionally. How this is faithfully lived out before God and others, it'll take on unique nuances due to our individual calling, our vocation, our job, our circumstance, our season in life. But our goal is not to develop people of faith with uniformity, but authenticity. Let's not only seek God so we can know truth, but also so we can perform and live in a way that is truth. Psalm 51, 6 says it beautifully. Let's desire truth in our inward parts, in our hearts, Pursue truth so we might know and practice truth, so we might feel truth in a meaningful, experiential way. A truth beyond just intellectual reasoning and intellectual musings. But here we discover a life of faith that takes a hold of us at our core and transforms us from the inside out. I want to pray today that the Lord would help us to live out his word and hide his word in our hearts. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. You've given us the Bible. You've given us your word so readily. Thank you, God, for the privilege to live in a world where your word is easily accessible. And for those who are listening who don't have a copy of your word, who do cannot get a copy of your word, I do pray that somehow, miraculously, you would provide them with a copy of your word and you would help them to read your word so they can know you and hide your word in their hearts. Help us never to take your word for granted. We have so much, God, I pray. Help us to love your word, esteem it as Job did, more than our necessary food. I'm asking you today, Lord Jesus, give us a love for your word so we can see you and we can know you all because of your precious holy word. I ask you for this and I praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Please be sure to click subscribe. 
be sure to click share so you can know every time an episode drops and you can share it with anybody and that you can be a blessing to anytime an episode drops. Also visit our website, PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got a lot of great resources, Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, inspirational books, resource books, reference books, great books, e-books, Kindle books. We've got it all right there on PentecostalPublishing.com. So visit us there. We are only two episodes away from reaching our 100th episode. So I want to give a lot of thanks to those who have been loyal listeners. Thank you so much. And for those who are sharing and giving this podcast to others as a way to bless them and help them in their relationship with God, I say thank you to you as well. I'm looking forward to our 100th episode. It's going to be exciting to hit that major milestone. And we just crested 50,000 downloads. We're right around 54. So thank you so much for all those who are listening to God's Word for Life and making this a part of your devotional life. Next week, we continue our series, Our Hiding Place. And we're going to take a look at Psalm 91 and a lesson entitled, The Refuge of the Secret Place. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.